Good evening. Tonight's entertainment is for mature audiences only. What follows is an audio play conceived of in a drunken fever dream of Russian literature and social media posts. It is a tale of sorrow told by an idiot. Recorded on a Rodecaster Pro. If you're one of our younger listeners or you're more squeamish or you're feeling ill this evening or faint of heart, you should turn this off and listen to an episode of, um, I don't know, Ballin' Out Super or uh, The Antifada or, or, or something boring and repetitive that will put you to sleep like, a, like the Legion of Skanks podcast or something. You can lull yourself to sleep by counting the repeated joke premises like so many sheep or something like that. Or maybe just enjoy a nice evening offline. The scariest thought of all. But if you must proceed, I will give you one last warning, which is a spoiler warning. The following audio play is based loosely on the Russian novel The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. It's a really good novel, and if you are extremely pure of mind, you may want to shut this off and read an entire 300-page novel before listening to a story extremely loosely based on it. That would be a bit excessive, though, I think... I think our story doesn't really spoil anything, or I guess I also don't think that the story of the Master and Margarita is particularly spoilable. It's not a mystery. It's a novel with themes and metaphors and things like that, but um, there is a talking cat in both of these stories. If you have retained any of your sanity up until this point in your life, the following story will not make much sense. Um, it involves overlapping themes between too many things. However, it is very, very scary. So please listen at your own risk and happy Halloween. The Master of Margaritas, Act One. Quickly, quickly, clean out these wells, roll some damn silverwares, and spot clean the walk-in cooler. I need this place to be pristine tomorrow for Pokrov is upon us. Yes, Pokrov. The most important holiday that we all know and celebrate annually. There's Leov, you hateful homosexual neurodivergent. Pokrov is not for two weeks. Everyone knows that it falls on the 14th of October. According to the Julian calendar, as it celebrates the protection afforded the faithful through the intercessions of Theotokos. Yes, of course I knew that. I, I was actually testing you. Congratulations, you passed. And I am not homosexual, I have girlfriend. Nevertheless, we, we still must prepare. I have been going around the neighborhood talking to other small business owners. They say this area is called Dime Square. 
and it is hot new hangout for internet fascists with big Instagram accounts and much money to spend, and who are also Catholic for some reason now. They say Pokrofist will be biggest day of year for bar and restaurant. Yes, yes, Pokrov, Pokrov, it is all anyone talks about these days. I have prepared, I purchased ingredients for popular bisexual cocktail, Negroni Spagliato. Look here, I have Campari, I have Prosecco, I have sweet vermouth. Good evening, it is I, Floland. And by the end of the day, you, sir, Mr. Dursleyoff, will lose your head. Dursleyoff here. And I am Alexievich. Who are you, Mr. Floland? And why are you interrupting us? I'm here to work as a bartender. I'm also a comedian, but I'm not making enough money off my podcast right now, so I had to return to the service industry. Some would say it's a bit of a step down. It's kind of sad, like that show... The bear. Have you seen the bear? Oh, oh, the bear. Have you seen the bear? Oh, look, I'm drinking from court container. I mean the bear. Oh, yes, chef. Thank you, chef. Yes, that one. No, I have not seen it. Is it good? I liked it. Better than Ted Lasso. But art is highly subjective now, isn't it? I'm sorry, you're here to do what now? And, and, and what did you say about my head? I am here to embody the literal devil and generally terrorize the place in a way that illustrates the corruption and toxicity caused by the overall mode of production at play here. Serving as a metaphorical vehicle for the author's own creative frustrations and struggles. Sort of a cathartic fantasy that becomes real when it is manifested as art also to make Long Island ice teas and dirty Shirley's for. 21-year-olds. Oh! Hey, there's something is weird about this guy. You you think he's, you know, into trains? No, I think he must be from Queens. Queens is a weird place. Just then, Floland opens his jacket and a giant black cat climbs out of it, walking on its hind legs, holding a vape in one hand and a pickled olive in the other. I hope you don't mind. I brought my own bar back. Gentlemen, meet... Behemory. This bar is bussin'. For real, for real. No cap. No, cat is not allowed here. Health code violation, no cat. Huh, I wonder who that's for. By the way, can I use your litter box? What is he saying? He learned to speak English by reading memes on the internet. A second Behemory has struck the World Trade Center. <laughs> I, I do not like that. He feels evil. I see you have the ingredients for the bisexual cocktail. This is good, but the low boy you're keeping it in opens to the left. The door swings to the left, so in order to reach your Prosecco, you have to walk around the door or bend over it. You will be doing this dozens of times an evening. That's bad. You should solve this by changing the hinge on the door. The bottle is also too tall for the way the shelves are installed, but this is also an easy fix. Silence! Bar is perfect. I am manager. You are worker. Furthermore, you have cocktails written on the menu like gin and tonic or rum and coke. These are not cocktails. These are called one and ones or well drinks. Every bar has them and they should be run at a consistent price. This makes no sense. Humans are the only species that has to pay to live on Earth. 
Thank you, Beamery. Also, why are you making espresso cocktails? The bar is open at night. It's incredibly labor intensive. It makes the glassware difficult to clean. The beer lines are set up wrong. The POS is a piece of shit. This knife is way too big to be cutting fruit with. You need a paring knife. They did surgery on a damn grape. Enough out with you. Behemory out with you. Why do you think all these things happened? All these little structural errors in your bar. It's because businesses are often owned not by workers, but by a class of people who've never actually done the job they now manage over with authority. Anyone with the cash to start a place like this. So my friends, care to prove me wrong? How did you start? What is this place called again? Glizzy's. We named it after American Hot Dog. And we received large donation to Start Bar by mysterious man named Peter Thiel, who asked that we sometimes put on an anti-woke comedy show featuring guy named Mencius Moldbach. Wow, stand-up comedy. A bunch of sober white guys hanging out drinking seltzers, not tipping, scaring away customers by yelling about how they're being censored by the woke mob. Surely this will be good for business. Oh, Kloopsy, we have customer. I better go take their order. Would you take my order if I were a worm? Enough! You are not allowed here! You are not bar rescue! You are cat! You are evil cat! You are not exhibit pimp my ride! You do not tell us what to do with low boy refrigerator menu! Cash register! Look! Refrigerator door! It works perfectly good! To illustrate his point, Alexievich opens the lowboy refrigerator door at precisely the moment Dursliov is walking by with a tray full of espresso martinis, and Dursliov trips over the low refrigerator door, causing him to launch the tray full of cocktails onto Alexievich. Finally, Dursliov slips while reaching for balance on a piece of wet glassware and accidentally knocks the long fruit knife into the position of a perfect reverse guillotine. His entire body comes down on it, neck landing on the blade, and his head is severed from his body. Damn, shoddy. Okay. Ah! It begins! A New York City subway station. A man sits behind a makeshift pedal board and idly turns the knobs. Horrible music plays. Hey man, it's first change. No, I am on my way to my business. Perhaps you should try getting job. I'm working right now. I'm playing noise music for people on their commute. I'm a noise busker. 
That's great. I work at Dime Square, bar for Catholic e-girl. I used to be a bartender. I made the most delicious margarita. But people said I was crazy for the avant-garde techniques and ingredients I would use to make it. Sounds like people did not like your margarita. You have to sell what people like. Some people liked my margarita, just not everyone. Well, come on, man. How bad could it be? What was what was your spin on it? The young man whispers something into Alexievich's ear. Oh, no. Oh, no! Thank you for coming out tonight to Comedy Tuesdays at Glizzy's. I will be your host and MC. And how about a round of applause for DJ Behemory? Nobody knows. I'm an alt-comedy DJ. Anyways... What's up? Who's swiping? Are you two on a date? Whoa-oh, this just got awkward. <laughs> no, really, I mean it. Thank you for coming out tonight and supporting live comedy. It's important to thank you for fighting against the woke mob that is trying to Kill free speech with cancel culture. I've placed something of very high value under each one of your seats. Each one of these ape pictures is potentially worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's right. We're all going to make it. Suddenly, a young woman appears by the side of the stage, looking up at Floland. No, no. Everyone should have received one ape. If someone took yours, there's literally no one you can call to amend the situation. That's what's great about them. No, I don't want a monkey picture. Oh, a heckler. Hold on. Let me set up my camera so I can bust you and go viral on TikTok. No, I do not want to heckle you. I can tell you have magical powers. I saw the non-fungible pictures turning back into trash in people's hands as they left the theater. That's actually just how those work normally. But yes, I do have magical powers. How can I help you? Well, my name is Paloma, and I'm searching for my long-lost lover. He was a niche micro-internet celebrity. They say he lost his mind because people didn't like his music, his drinks, his jokes, his posts, his tweets. He tweeted that thing about Uvalde once. See, there was this comedian named Chelsea Handler who made a special called Uganda Be Kidding Me. So then he did like a meta joke on top of that by saying Uvalde Be Kidding Me. But he was saying it about the police. It was an anti-police joke. I'm going to cut you off right there. I don't really care about this, but I can help you find him for a price. Oh, please. Yes. Anything. 
you must accompany me to a Pokrov celebration. Yes, of course. The holiday we all know and love. In hell. Act 3. The bar has been transformed elaborately. There are now hundreds of candles, chandeliers, and a fancy new cash register and POS system. The refrigerator door has been reversed. There is a large coffin in the center of the bar. Alexievich is washing glasses idly, seemingly hypnotized. Behem Murray stands beside Floland on the top of the bar on one side, while Paloma is on the other. Floland stands tall and spindly in the center, Thank you, thank you all for joining us tonight for this holiest of holidays, and simultaneously, the nightclub event of the fall. There are Narcan kits in the bathroom, as well as condoms. Now I must confess, I have been misleading you all about the nature of tonight's festivities. While we will be celebrating Pokrov, we will be specifically partaking in the ritual of Dark Pokrov. <laughs> the doors are locked from the outside. Do not attempt escape. Now let the party begin. Flolin proceeds to rip his own heart out, seemingly painlessly, and place it in a blender and turn it on without a lid. The lid of the coffin then flies off its hinges and into pieces, and an 18-foot-tall skeleton climbs out, followed by a nearly endless proceeding of other ghouls. Paloma, as is the condition of her pact with Floland, takes a hard-style kneeling handshake photograph with each one of the guests. Oh, look! Home Depot skeleton is here! Who's that behind him? NYPD clown cop, hello! Frankenstein is here! Welcome, Frankenstein! Papa Doc Duvalier! Scarecrow Kamala! Roscoe! McKamey! Wow, a lot of spooky friends from past episodes! Hundreds of skeletons, gremlins, demons, rats, werewolves, new metal clowns, and other creepy crawlies fill the room and mingle around, to the shrieking horror of Dime Square's social elite. Finally, the Master of Margaritas ascends from the dark blackness of the casket and closes the procession. <sighs> it's him! Bones rattle and conversation dies as the master trudges through endless ghouls and freaks to the bar top where he is met by Floland, Behemurri, and his estranged, weeping Paloma. You've fulfilled your pact, Paloma. You just have one last task. Floland hands a broomstick to Paloma and a sparkling, as if magical, shaker tin to the master. I know what I must do. The master scoops ice into his shaker tin and proceeds to measure various liquors, juices, bitters, and tinctures into it. He shakes it, and somehow knowing what to do next, approaches Paloma and takes flight with her on the broomstick. Glasses appear in every single patron's hand, and as he cracks the shaker from the height of the now cavernous room, the stream of cocktails splits infinitely and fills every single glass. The two return to Flolin's side on the bar top. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha! 
citizens of New York, I have watched you for some time now. I was there for weird Twitter, the fall of Tumblr. I was witness to the first podcasts. I'm here now as the undead deity Jesus Christ returns to your hearts in tandem with the spirit of tradition. Flowland, the Master, and Paloma begin to rise, and the ceiling opens up to reveal the blinding light of a full moon, casting itself on the party, interrupted only so slightly by the silhouette of the Tower One World Trade Center. What I'm here to show you is that if God is real, then the devil is real. If God is real, then I am real. I never died, and I never will die. I may become unpopular, but I will never die. Manuscripts don't burn. Tweets don't delete. Jokes don't disappear. And a drink is never truly drunk. One only changes. Good master, what is the secret ingredient in your margarita? It's piss. I would swallow my pride, I would choke on the rinds, but the lack thereof would leave me empty inside. Swallow my doubt, turn it inside out, find nothing but faith in this has been the master of margaritas a pod damn america production starring jake flores as flowland jake flores as the master Anders Lee as Dursley Off, Alex Patek as Alexievich, AP Andy as Behemory, Jamie Peck as Paloma, and Ashley Darrow from the Horror Vanguard as the narrator. Okay, post-credits bonus section. Uh, hi, this is Jake. I'm going to try to do a mini bread tube, dread tube thing and explain uh, The Master Margarita if you have not read it. I read it recently. That's why I made this dumbass play. Um, it's, <clears throat> it's really good. It's a Russian novel. It was written in the 1930s by a guy named Mikhail Bulgakov. And what's interesting about that is that he was a playwright in the Soviet Union and he found himself being censored because of his beliefs that didn't match with the state programs of the Soviet Union. But he was a really good playwright, so Stalin didn't kill him or anything. He would just sort of like uh, put him in these purgatories of um, having to put on the same opera over and over again, stuff like that. And so he wrote this novel in secrecy and in protest, and it didn't really unearth itself until after he died and didn't finally become public until uh, the 60s or so in the Soviet Union when things were starting to shift and come apart a little bit. And um, it's critical of the Soviet Union, but don't shit your pants, tankies. Uh, That's not the point of the novel, I don't think. If you're smart and you like art, you're going to get that it's a little bit um, transcendent of that. So basically, uh, he sort of kept trying to write this novel and have it censored and he created like an interesting meta work of art about a writer who struggled to have his art published in the Soviet Union and 
the premise of the book is essentially that in the beginning there are these two characters talking. One of them is an editor, one of them is a poet. And the editor is, the editor is telling the poet that he needs to rewrite some things in this satirical work that he's dreamt up because it's not uh, scathingly satirical enough of Christianity, right? Obviously, uh, you know, this being an atheist state and everything, they really want to make sure that you hammer home that Christianity isn't real. A man wanders up to these two men in the park talking about this. The man is eccentric and weird and has... um, one green eye and one black eye and a strange manner of dress and he's spindly and wears bizarre jewelry and uh things like that and to uh it becomes clear that he's the devil he's the you know the literary incarnation of the devil um but what's funny is that they don't understand that because they don't believe in the devil because they don't believe in god so they think he's german they just think oh he's an eccentric foreigner um and the devil, in the form of this character, Woland, sort of decides to uh, terrorize them a little bit. The first thing he does is predict that Berlioz's, one of the characters, the editor's head will come off by the end of the day. It does uh, in an accident that was, uh, you know, he made a premonition about. And then from there, uh, essentially, the devil and his team of cohorts, who I did not have enough... Um, power or time to fully incorporate into this work mostly i only got uh his talking cat friend uh behemoth there and mashed him with my cat murray but um him and the devil and his his friends uh incarnate as humans wreak havoc on russia and in the process reunite a writer called the master with his long lost lover named margarita who Margarita makes a Faustian deal with the devil, sort of wishes to um, to save her her lover, who's you know ended up in an insane asylum after losing um, or after after failing to publish and write and finish his uh, his book over and over and over again. He's got this manuscript he keeps burning. It's interesting. The devil says things like, uh, "Manuscripts never burn." The most famous line from the novel is Woland saying, manuscripts never burn, which is uh, symbolic of the overall metaphor at play here, which is that you can bury a work of art, uh, but you can't stamp it out like so much kindling. So the devil and his friends basically terrorize the Soviet Union. Um, I think the math on this is pretty much, well, if you don't believe in God, then uh, I'll show you that the devil is real. And if the devil's real, then God is real. The way that they terrorize Moscow is extremely funny. It's really good. It's a really good book. They, um, especially for having been written in the 30s and buried, it's, it's so funny that they came up with this that is still so funny to like modern ears. Um, the devil and his cat friend and his weird little demon friends put on a magic show. <laughs> in the magic show, they give out money to everyone in the audience you know, um, everyone clamors and fights and falls over each other to, to scrape these dollar bills off the ground later on to find that they have been, they're actually just charmed pieces of trash that turn back into trash while you're trying to spend them. Stuff like that happens. Very funny. Very cool. 
characters are uh, beheaded and turned invisible and transported to Siberia and things like that, all with impeccable comic timing. And as all this is happening, Woland, the devil character, explains uh, to a few people that he's been alive for a very long time. And when people express their atheism to him, he... Uh, tells him things like uh, the fact that he was at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which is really interesting. The crucifixion in the flashback chapters, which go all the way back to uh, you know the the story centered actually around Pontius Pilate, which is really interesting, are uh, not super supernatural. Oddly, like the rest of the book, they predict uh, they depict Jesus as like a a a, a well meaning uh, philosopher. Uh, but kind of a madman. And um, this is really interesting for a couple of reasons. One of them is that I guess there's a, a tradition in maybe Russian literature. I'm not sure if I'm getting that right, but literature in general where the devil appears to characters like Faust, etc., cetera, uh, when someone is trying to rewrite the Bible. So this character, um, the master and the, author of this book itself, Bulgakov, are both uh, rewriting the story of, um, you know, the Bible for their audiences. And I guess when you alter the the text like that, a rule in literature or a common or a recurring theme is that's when the devil shows up. But what's interesting is the realistic depiction of Jesus is um, I think maybe like almost a way to make it palatable to the, you know, the atheist culture of the Soviet union and a way to um, not be, you know, have your audience put off by feeling as though they're being talked down to with the opiate of the masses. This character, the master is, frustrated he feels unable to finish this project and only when his lost lover margarita goes to the devil becomes a a witch via a faustian deal accompanies the devil to what's called a walpurgis festival in the underworld nude where her job is to receive every single guest in a long procession of ghouls and horrible people from history and hell in the underworld who climb out of a giant coffin it's a really cool fucking book uh (laughs) is to let them um kiss her knee as they walk into the party and then the devil does all this crazy cocktail party stuff uh while that happens he just asks her you just have to do this ritual thing where people walk in and they kiss your leg and you sort of stand there nude in return she is allowed to save the master the author of the book in the book from the insane asylum where he's been hanging out help him finish his story and they sort of fly off with the devil into the moonlight and i think end up in some sort of purgatory i don't know that's the gist of it there's a lot more going on you should totally read it it's a fucking great read um but that's the main story and the reason i told you the main story is to talk about how it illustrates a metaphor about what the author was experiencing creatively. Um, now you might be thinking, wait, 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 this is a communist podcast. Why are you uh, talking about this book that is critical of the Soviet Union and talks about how it censors people and things like that? 
Well, it did censor people. Um, I don't know. Sorry. Uh, I obviously still like it, but it's nuanced and complex, and it would be silly to pretend like, uh, you know, Stalin wasn't uh, a dick or whatever, and that the mode of production may not have been extremely perfect, given that, um, you know, no state has achieved communism. We're only on the way to it in socialist states. Whatever. I became fixated on this story because to me it seemed like immediately uh, apparent that the story here is just about creativity and expression and you could easily write this same story, this same meta style story about, I don't know, um, feeling stifled by the system of capitalism creatively. Obviously that fucking happens all the time. The setting here is uh, aesthetic. It's beside the point. The point is just a universal story about trying to fucking make a thing and uh, the various ways that society gets in the way. Furthermore, uh, being critical of the system which you're living in, if you live in Soviet Russia, does not make a capitalist out of you. It just means you're being critical. You Maybe you are just someone who is looking forward like an artist, like a creative. But... Uh, I think I've convinced who I'm going to convince with this argument and have not with who I am not. So we're not going to get bogged down in politics here. We're talking about art. When I came to understand what this book was about, I uh, thought it would be fun to overlap it with some struggles of my own creatively because I liked this book because I related to the author and the character of the master in that I find it a miserable Sisyphean task to want to make things and I can't not do that. It's just in my heart. Uh, I like to post shit on the internet. I feel incredibly stifled by uh, the internet, by trolls and uh, stupid 4chan guys and uh, the pit of despair and madness that causes people to just pugilize against each other unendingly instead of getting anything done on that shit. I obviously am a comedian. I like to make jokes, but the hyper-capitalistic nature of the society we live in and the society that birthed stand-up comedy itself uh, has you know, kind of ruined that. It sucks. It's my favorite art form, and yet it's dying and it's dead because of the mode of production. It creates a situation where you can only make money pandering to a very specific audience, pandering to people's worst reactionary impulses, or just most base, boring, banal, buried in the normalcy of everything, uh, you know, traditional values. Thirdly, I do actually enjoy bartending. It's why it's the day job that I uh, choose when I need to go scrape together money in a non-creative way. And I often wonder what the job would be like if it were not stifled by so many of these similar problems. If uh, it was not something you had to do for a boss, but something you got to do for your friends at a party, you know? Uh, so that's why I combined all three of those ideas into a uh, stupid, meaningless thing that I wrote in one go one night and thought would be fun to make my friends read out loud. Um, there's a lot more to say about the Master and Margarita. Maybe I'll return to it at some point on an episode in length. Uh, it's really cool. There are just so many things in uh, in the just texturally in the in the characters. There's 
characters that are supernatural that have these insane details people say that every scene has a detail that is you know you could extrapolate uh to some insane degree there's a character he has one fang why is that well if you read long enough you'll discover that there's a reason for the one fang it's an allusion to some demon or something pretty cool Anyway, I recommend reading this book. I don't know. It was a really good novel. It was fun to read in the fall. Um, I don't know what people read or if anyone has time to read fiction anymore, but uh, kicks the dick off of hillbilly elegy and that sort of thing, in my opinion. Don't read something stupid. Read this instead. All right. Thanks, y'all, and happy Halloween. <laughs>